Would you like freedom, happiness, guidance, hope, and comfort? Would you like peace in your life, the deep wholeness that the word shalom describes? Hi, I'm Yvonne Prin, and welcome to Bible 805. In our podcast today, we're going to look at Psalm 119 and find out how to make the happiness, guidance, freedom, and peace that this psalm describes part of our lives. First of all, let's talk about where we are, and let me give you a little bit of an introduction to this lesson. We've studied the life of David in the last two podcasts, and this one actually is a continuation of it, though there's some debate on exactly who wrote Psalm 119. As I've studied it, I do believe that David wrote it, and that it really is his summary of what he, how he loved God's Word and his feelings about it. So that's what we're going to talk about. Now, you can either listen to this as part of the series on David, or this lesson will also stand by itself just as an example of some of the things that God's Word can really bring into our lives. And this lesson is also going to have a second part where I talk about how to actually get God's Word into our life. You see, I don't want you to look at the benefits of God's Word and think, oh, they're just magic. If I have this Bible on my shelf at home, or I crack it open maybe once every three weeks when I'm desperate, that then I'm going to be able to get all the benefits of it. That is simply not true. But first, let's look at the real benefits that God's Word can fill our life with. There's actually going to be 10 of them that we'll talk about. And then I'm going to give you five ways to make them actually a practical part of your life. Okay, let's get started. What I'll do is I will list the benefit, then I will read you the verses that apply to that, and then I will comment on it and explain it a little bit more. So benefit number one, the way to be truly happy. Psalm 119.1 Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. Now, the thing that I want to emphasize here is that word blessed. And in many ways, that is really an unfortunate translation because it just sounds kind of spiritual. And I don't know, it, it, it really is kind of a weird word. For example, when people say, oh, just bless your heart. Well, you know, what in the world does that mean? Um, but what it means in the Hebrew, in reality, it's the word assure, E-S-H-E-R, and it means happiness. It means to be happy. And so a more correct translation would have been happy are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. We don't often think that doing what God wants us to will make us happy, but in reality it will. God created us. He knows what will make us most happy. And he doesn't leave us alone to try and figure that out. He tells us in his word. And that's why this psalm starts out by saying, Happy are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. And just in your reading, always Put that word in there when you see blessed, because that will really give you a much more accurate understanding of what it means. Now, in this also, as we go through the entire psalm, I want to mention the concept of the North Star. You may or may not have heard of this term, but a lot of times people will talk about having a North Star in your life. And the reason that they use that term, and I'll have an illustration of this on the website, is the North Star 
star is a fixed point in the northern hemisphere. Now, those of you that are listening to me from Australia, and I know there's a number of you, I'm sorry, this doesn't apply, but you have... Uh, you have your own stars that, that work in the same way. But anyway, back to the North Star. The North Star is a set point, and you see a lot of these pictures online where there's a fixed point of a star, and then all these other circles of light go around it. And the idea is that there's that one fixed point, and everything else revolves around that as a center. And people for centuries have used this as an illustration reminding us of the importance of having a fixed point in our life that everything else revolves around. And that's the point of Psalm 119. When God's word is our North Star, when everything that we do in our life revolves around that, that's when we'll be truly happy. So let's go on and look at some of the other benefits of God's word that Psalm 119 talks about. Benefit number two, it's the ability to live a clean life, a pure life. In Psalm 119.9 it says, How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I've hidden my word in your heart, in my heart, that I might not sin against you. You see, the thing the way this works is like this. When God's word fills our heart, if that's the most important thing in it, living according to the way that He wants us to, thinking about it, then there won't be any room for garbage. And I as I was working on this, I thought, you know. We're all kind of natural garbage collectors. Um, something has to fill our mind and thoughts. And a lot of times it's just garbage. It's thoughts that aren't pure, thoughts that maybe we're jealous or we're angry or or we want something that we can't have or we rehash in our minds something someone did to us that was bad. These are not the kind of things that w- will give us a pure and a good life. Also, too, a lot of people... St- struggle with pornography and really vile thoughts. God's word, memorizing God's word, has been proven to be really effective in literally washing out your mind. And our society, even if you're not involved in something like porn or something like that, it seems to me that our society today is just overrun with snarkiness and people making nasty comments to each other and not being kind. Well, if God's word is at the core of your life, when it talks about how the psalmist says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you, when that is what's filling you up, you won't be nasty to people. You won't be unkind to them. And that really is not fitting for God's people. So fill your life with his word. And a benefit of that is you'll have a clean and pure and good life and good words will come out of your mouth. Benefit number three, we need wisdom. It gives us wisdom beyond just reading something. It's This is more of a prayer in the psalm, but in Psalm 119.18 it says, Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. Uh, psalm 119.34 says, Give me understanding so that I may keep your law. Psalm 119.66 says, Teach me knowledge and good judgment, for I trust your commands. Psalm 119.73 says, You made my body, Lord. Now give me good sense to obey your laws. You see, again, just reading isn't enough. We pray, we ask God 
Open my eyes. Give me understanding. Teach me. Give me good sense. We need to always remember to pray before we get into God's Word. And when He lists prayers like this, that means He wants us to pray those things. God wants us to ask for that kind of wisdom and understanding. And remember in James 1.5 it says, If any of you lack wisdom, you should ask God. He gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. If you want the most out of God's Word, always take time to pray and say, Lord, ask me to see the things that you want me to see in your Word. Help me to have the common sense to apply what I'm reading. Benefit number four, a correct perspective of life and what is of true value. In Psalm 119.36, it says, Turn my heart towards your statutes and not towards selfish gain. That is so um, in opposition to everything that our world tells us because our world screams that if it doesn't make money, it isn't worth doing and that you're measured by how much money you make and, and your net worth. I mean, even that term, think about it, net worth. And how is net worth calculated? It's calculated financially. And a person may have millions and millions of dollars and be an absolutely reprehensible, worthless person. Money is not what's important. And the sooner that you realize that, that money is not the most important thing in life, the more peaceful and meaningful life you'll have. My grandmother gave me a little little plaque many, many years ago, and it says, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And she was a poor farm lady, didn't ever have very much, but she was truly rich in that she knew what was important in life, and she passed that on to her children and grandchildren. One other note on this, just a caution in case you're struggling with this, don't wait until you are secure enough financially to do what you feel God wants you to do. It's never going to happen. Um, if we uh, now we, we want to be wise with our finances, we want to be wise with our time. But if you feel that God wants you to do something, whether it's a little thing, having enough time for devotions, or it's a big thing, maybe a change in how you spend your time, whatever, do it now. You will never be in a place where you're financially comfortable enough to do what God wants you to do because there will always be something more that you want. So decide you're going to obey God. Now be wise in how you make money and spend money, but don't have sort of a financial thing that I'll serve God if this or that happens because he just won't let that happen. Benefit number five real freedom. Psalm 119.45 says, I will walk about in freedom, for I have sought out your precepts. When you play to an audience of one, when you play to, and, and by when I talk about playing to an audience of one, I'm talking about how you live your life, and I've talked about this in a number of podcasts, but when God is your primary audience, you are so free you don't have to worry about what will happen, what people will think. If you are truly trying to do what God wants you to do in every situation, you will be okay. You might not be immediately. People might think that you're you're crazy and you've got your head in the clouds or whatever. But you will have freedom in your soul because you know that what you're doing is right. Now, one other thing that's really important on this, though, you have to really know 
what it is that you are trying to act out, whether it's a certain principle or something like that. You can't be a mean, nasty person. You can't be arrogant or insensitive and say, well, God told me to do this. No, that's not right at all. But if you live your life the way God wants you to, the way his word truly says you should, that is the way to real freedom. Benefit number six, meaning in suffering. Because trials and suffering are always going to happen. This is this is a really good passage. I know I've, I've gone back to it a lot in my life. Where it says in Psalm 119, 67 and 68, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I obey your word. You are good and do what is good. Teach me your decrees. And it's kind of neat how it puts it in the Living Bible. I'll I'll read you that translation. It says, I used to wander off until you punished me. Now I closely follow what you say. You are good and do only good. Make me follow your lead. The punishment you gave me was the best thing that could have happened to me, for it taught me to pay attention to your laws. They are more valuable than millions in silver and gold. And then it goes on in Psalm 119.75, I know, Lord, that your laws are righteous, and that in faithfulness you've afflicted me. Let me read you another passage in the New Testament about why God allows troubles in our life, and then I'll comment on both of these. In Hebrews 12.5-11 it says, Have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you're not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while, as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good, in order that we may share in His holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace, for those who've been trained by it. Now from these verses, we see that oftentimes troubles in our life are actually discipline for us to grow in our faith and holiness. Now it talks about too in both of these passages that God is faithful to do this. What kind of a father would he be if he saw us doing something wrong and he didn't step in and correct us? He wouldn't really be loving us if he didn't. The question is, though in our limited human understanding, how do we know if what we're going through is discipline or if it's something else. For example, in Job's life, he was suffering because it was something that he really didn't understand, but it was for God's glory and his purposes. In the New Testament, at one point, Jesus heals a man, and they said to him, well, who sinned, him or his father? You know, they, they went right to this discipline, right to this punishment thing. And God and Jesus said, neither one. This happened so that God's word work might be displayed in his life. And so, It's kind of confusing at at times. So here are some things that might be helpful. When a difficult time comes, 
Don't just immediately assume that you're fine and uh, that you're, you know, this is some Job-like test, or don't assume that you're under discipline and God's just going to beat up on you a little while till you shape up. No, don't do that. Take some time and prayerfully ask, is there sin in my life? Now, we ought to know God's word well enough so that we know what is truly sin, what is truly missing the mark, what is truly the way he doesn't want us to live, or how we think we ought to live, or the particular group that we're in thinks that we ought to live. Now, if it's not perhaps a blatant sin, does it still need correction in our life? If we're living as a representative, as a disciple of Jesus, we have to look at ourselves and say, oh my, you know, what picture are people getting of Jesus when they look at me? And sometimes, the longer we progress in our Christian life and the more mature we get, one of the things that often happens is what you didn't even what didn't even bother you in the past. Maybe you were mean to some people, or your mouth was a little bit snarky, or you were just unkind to people at home, or maybe you yelled too much, or whatever it is. But as you mature, you realize, oh, this is not how I should act. And so sometimes God will just kind of put his thumb on you and convict you of that. Sometimes maybe it's it's a big thing that God has to really get your attention and something difficult will happen and we can just pause and say, Lord, why is this happening? And maybe we need to make some changes in our business, in our relationship, in our habits. And really pray, look at God's word, ask for guidance from Christian friends. But we want to take seriously the idea that a different difficulty could be God disciplining us in it. Now, he is merciful, but it's difficult to ask for his blessings if we're doing something, again, that isn't good for us and that he wants us to stop. And sin never ultimately is. No matter how pleasant it is, it just isn't good for us in the long term. Benefit number seven, strength and perspective in trials. Now this goes back again a little bit to what we were already talking about. But in Psalm 119.92 it says, If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. Now it's an old saying, but it is so true that troubles can either make us bitter or better. That really happens if we have God's perspective, if his law is our delight, as this verse says, oftentimes really hard things can make us better. And I I don't always know how it happens. Sometimes you just think, how could this really dreadful thing be good? A number of years ago, and I I don't want to dwell on this long story, but when my husband and I were moving back from Florida to California, we had a gigantic uh, U-Haul truck that had all our belongings in it. And when... um, uh, my husband stopped for the night. I was actually teaching a seminar. When my husband stopped for the night, uh, someone stole it. Stole everything that we had. Uh, my grandmother's rocking chair, the necklace my mother wore at her wedding. Uh, those are the things that that I miss the most, in addition to just all the electronics and clothes and everything from toothpaste to whatever was gone. And the insurance company that we had uh, literally laughed at us when we made the report because they said that the truck that we had was over the weight of what they would cover. And so we were we were pretty much wiped out with that. It's, it's really hard uh, to recover when every single thing that you have from toothpaste to uh, shoes is gone. But um, 
and I don't want to sound Pollyannish-ish on this, but it was really kind of neat after that, because I could say, in all honesty, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away, and blessed be the name of the Lord. And you can't really say that unless you've lost everything. And there's there's a tremendous freedom in that. And, and now I, and I've, I've shared this story before, forgive me some of you that have heard it, but now I don't know why I have so much junk in my house. It's amazing how much uh, one reaccumulates and how, how quickly you do that. But you see, our trials can either make us bitter or they can make us better. And no matter what it is, and I don't want to minimize the truly horrible things that happen to people, and there are evil people in this world, and they will do incredibly evil, vicious things. But what God's Word does tell us is there is a lawgiver, there is a judge, and one day all wrongs will be righted. And for those who have trusted Jesus as Savior, pain will end and everlasting joy will be the result. But again, to quote the verse that this benefit started with, if your law, if your word had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. So get into God's word now because I guarantee if it hasn't happened to you yet, it will. There will be times in your life where you will be absolutely devastated. But if you trust God in His Word, it can be a time of immense spiritual growth. So I encourage you to do that. Benefit number eight, spiritual insight and common sense. These A lot of these passages kind of go back and forth with each other, but let me just read uh, some of these, these verses. They all kind of group together, and I, I just love them. In Psalm 119, 165, in the Message Translation, it says, For those who love what you reveal, everything fits. No stumbling around in the dark for them. So, you see, God's Word really gives us clarity when we could be confused. We don't stumble around. We know what's real, what isn't. Psalm 119, 125 in today's Living Bible says, For I am your servant. Therefore, give me common sense to apply your rules to everything I do. Again, common sense, not this overly spiritual viewpoint, although that can be good. I, I don't want to make, make light of that. But common sense is what we need. And God's word gives it to us. Psalm 119, 130. The unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. And again, God's word can give us understanding beyond our intellectual limits. Benefit number nine, the truth about God. Psalm 119, this is, this is a really important one. Psalm 119 says, your compassion, Lord, is great. Preserve my life according to your laws. Now, the reason that I want to pause and talk about this a few minutes is because where it talks about how God's compassion is great, Satan will always lie to you about that. Remember his first lie in the Garden of Eden was he said, did God really say that? And Satan will constantly jabber at you that God's character cannot be trusted, especially, again, when times are hard. If you don't know the biblical reasons for trusting God in trials, you're going to cave in. 
You're going to doubt God. And that's so sad because he is a good God. He is a trustworthy God. The Bible tells us about his love and his mercy. And this is something, too, we should pray to understand. I love these passages where the Apostle Paul is talking about what he prays for his people. And it says in Ephesians 1.17, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. And then I want to switch to the message translation because it's so neat how it finishes off this passage. It says, And I ask him, with both feet planted firmly on love, that you'll be able to take in with all the followers of Jesus the extravagant dimensions of Christ's love. Reach out and experience the breadth, test its length, plumb the depths, rise to the heights, live full lives, full in the fullness of God. Isn't that wonderful? And you can pray that for yourself. Pray that for the people that you love, that you serve, that you do ministry with, that they will deeply, deeply experience and understand God's love. Just think about it. If you truly believe, you truly know that the creator of the universe loves you, loves everything about you, cares about what you do every minute. Remember Jesus said the very hairs of your head are numbered. When you live in that deep awareness of God's love, your desire to please Him and your ability to do so will really grow. Think of it too from a human viewpoint, how dreadful it is in a relationship if, say, uh, your child or your spouse just goes, I don't think you love me. And you say, well, you know, I've, I've done all this stuff for you. How can I show you? I mean, I, I'll do everything that I can, but no matter what you do, the person just goes, no, you don't love me. I don't think you love me. You really don't have much of a relationship, do you? And so we need to sometimes just take a deep breath and realize and trust how much God loves us. That's hard for some of us. We may have been in a family or relationships that should have loved us and didn't. And we can't help it. We put that on God. But ask Him to break through that barrier in your heart and life. And I do believe that He will help you. Then benefit number 10, and this is in many ways the best of all, it's a wholeness of peace in our life. And in Psalm 19, 165, it says, Great peace have those who love your law, and nothing can make them stumble. The word peace in this passage is the word shalom. And that word in Hebrew thought was not just sort of an absence of struggle kind of peace, although that was part of it. It was a fullness, a wholeness. It was the peace of God that encompassed all of life. It's a fullness of peace in your body, in your spirit, now and forever. And that's the benefit that we will get from God's word if we truly make it our North Star. Now that's the section of this podcast that talks about the benefits of God's word. Just to go over them briefly, benefit number one, it's the way to be truly happy. Two, 
it gives us the ability to live a clean, pure life. Three, it gives us wisdom that we need beyond just our reading of the word. Four, it gives us the correct perspective of life and what is of value. Number five, it gives us real freedom. Number six, it gives meaning in suffering because trials are always going to happen. Number seven, it gives us strength and perspective in trials. Number eight, we get spiritual insight and common sense. Number nine, we know the truth about God. And number ten, the wholeness of peace. But now here is the challenge. Do these things happen automatically? Just because, again, we have a Bible on the shelf or we read a little devotion here and there, um, will all those things happen? And, of course, they won't. And I would not be doing you a service if I just told you about all these great things and then you thought they would just happen without you doing something. Now, how then do we get these things in our life? How do the benefits of God's Word become real to us? And that's where I want to go back to an illustration that I learned in college. It came from the Christian group, The Navigators. It's called The Hand Illustration. And it's uh, subtitled, How to Get a Grip on God's Word. And I'll have an illustration of it on the www.bible805 website. But it has five ways that we get God's Word into our life. Number one, you hear the Word. Romans 10:17 it says, Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the Word about Christ. So first we hear God's Word. We can do that in church. You can do it with podcasts like this one. You can do it with the wonderful things that are on Christian radio. You can also listen to the Bible on your phone. I recommend this so much that even if you like to read the Bible, that you listen to it. That's how most of Christendom throughout all of the centuries has taken in God's Word by listening. So do that. That's way number one. The second way, of course, is to read it. Um, Revelation 1.3 says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And we're blessed. Again, we're happy if we read God's Word. Now, I encourage you to read it with a plan. You, If you're listening to this podcast and you go to Bible 805, I have a through-the-year reading plan. There's a lot of different plans. I happen to like reading it chronologically because I think this makes the whole Bible... Uh, gives it a lot more clarity. You know where things fit in. And if you listen to this podcast, that we are in the process of going through the whole Bible. But read the Bible with the same respect that you do other books. We would never take a best-selling novel or a nonfiction or any other book and read a little passage here and a little passage there and a little passage there and say, oh, yes, I've read the Harry Potter series. I, I read, I read. Um, well, I just open it up and I, I, I read a paragraph or two every morning and, and so I'm familiar with it. Good grief. You know, it, nobody would take you seriously that you knew anything about Harry Potter or Gone with the Wind or, or whatever the... The book might be if you just dabbled in a little bit here and there. We should not ever treat God's Word in the same way. Read the whole book. Uh, read it in a, like a, uh, in a system like what I'm teaching you. There's lots of ones online. Your study Bibles are really helpful in this way in that they give you an introduction for the book and you can see where it fits in all of Bible history. But do read God's Word. And then next, of course, study. 
Um, Acts 17.11, and this is, uh, this is out of the message translation, it says, The Jews received Paul's message with enthusiasm and met with him daily, examining the scriptures to see if they supported what he said. I love this. You know, every teacher should welcome their students, checking them out. You know, if I say something that's incorrect, please call me on it. Please question me on things. And his students, the people that listened to him, they checked out because Paul was preaching that Jesus fulfilled Old Testament prophecy. So I'm sure they were going back and saying, hmm, did he really do this? Let's see what Isaiah says about it. Or let's see these different passages. And that gave them an increased appreciation and trust in what he was talking about. Because, of course, when they studied what he says what's proven to be true. So dig deeper. Uh, learn how to use online Bible study tools. One of my favorite ones is the Blue Letter Bible. And one of these days I'm going to do a video on how to show you how to use it. But it's it's pretty easy. It's just www.blueletterbible.com. But you can look up uh, things. You can do word studies. There's a lot of things that you can do in studying on your own. Journal. Um, ask questions with the Lord. Just journaling things. That's a great way to do about it. Join a study group. There's a lot of good Bible study books and in a small group. Now this is really hard because a lot of small groups today are merely fellowship and pastoral groups. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's really good. But don't kid yourself that it's a Bible study if you're just sitting there and uh, sharing by you know prayer requests and stuff like that again that's not a bad thing but that's not a study there's still a lot of bible study booklets out there where you read a passage you answer questions you struggle with the passage you look up other references things like that are absolutely essential if you're going to really grow in your knowledge of god's word the next way memorize it Psalm 119, out of our passage, again, I've talked about this verse, but it bears repeating. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you memorize God's word. What I like to do is um, I copy things down on index cards and when I'm doing my daily reading verses that speak to me I copy them down and then I have one I'm sitting right here by my computer I have a little um, a little one of those little booklets that has like wire binding of index cards and I have it by my computer and when I have a, a spare minute I'm waiting for a website to load or just whatever I will look at uh, one of the verses like one of them I was um, a while back I was just copying down a lot of verses about the tongue and this one in Proverbs 10:21, the one that's on the top here it just says the lips of the righteous nourish many the mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom the lips of the righteous know what is fitting um, and you know I, I will read that and then I'll think about it and if I read it over enough times, I might not have it memorized perfectly, but I have a good idea of what it says. And don't be too uptight. When I was involved with the Navigators, oh, good grief, if you messed up one word, you were in big trouble. But I tend to memorize out of so many different translations today. Um, I'm sorry, but I, nowadays, if I kind of get the gist of it right and I remember pretty much what book it's in, I, I think that's good. So if you can do that, have fun with it, go for it. And then the last one, meditate. 
but in Psalm uh, 1, 2, and 3, and this, this again is one of my favorite passages, but they delight in doing everything God wants them to do, and day and night are always meditating on His laws and thinking about ways to follow Him more closely. They're like trees along a river bank, bearing luscious fruit each season without fail. Their leaves never wither, and all they do is all they do shall prosper. Meditating on God's word is what really gets it into our life. And don't get hung up on that word meditate. Meditating is like is is a, a big deal today. But so much meditation that's talked about today is either mindless meditation or meditation on a mantra, a meaningless word that maybe it does calm down your breathing and get you not as stressed out, but that is not what biblical meditation is. Biblical meditation is not mindless. It is meditating on something with content. As I was talking about these verses that I have here by my desk, the lips of the righteous nourish many. What I will say to myself is, if I want to be a righteous person, if I want to be known as a godly person, then the things that I say should be of benefit to people. You see, that's meditating on God's Word. Thinking about it in different situations. If I'm at the store and the clerk seems really stressed out, instead of saying, well, would you, you know, be careful what you're doing, you seem a little distracted, say, are you having a hard day? You know, my goodness, if I had to stand all day long like this, that'd be really tough. I, I sure appreciate what you're doing for me. You see, in meditating on God's Word, then we can think about ways to apply it. Also, too, meditating is you come up against a difficult situation. I know I, this will happen maybe in, in the work that I do. And I'll say, what does God's Word say about this type of situation? And then I'll call to mind different verses and think it through in light of God's Word. So, if you want all of those benefits that we've talked about of God's Word in your life. You want to listen, you want to read, you want to study, you want to memorize, and you want to meditate on God's Word. Then you'll have that solid grip on His Word and you can expect the benefits that we talked about in Psalm 119 and many more to grow in your life. That's all for now. Please check out the notes from this lesson. They're in downloadable PDF format. And there's other materials also on the www.bible805.com website. And do sign up for the newsletter. I periodically send out additional information for you. And most of all, please tell your friends about this podcast and encourage them to listen so they can learn about God's Word. I'm sure for all of your friends, you want them to have the joyful and wonderful and peaceful things that Psalm 119 talks about, and I just pray that this podcast will help build that into their lives. Until next time, I'm Yvonne Pran, your fellow pilgrim, writer, and teacher for Jesus, and I'd like to close with this benediction. May you know the invitation of God to move from confusion to clarity, from wandering to rest. From loneliness to knowing you are loved. From turmoil to peace. From wherever you are on your spiritual journey to a growing knowledge of God's Word and in your personal relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.